0: All right, well, last week Dave uh, Pritchard uh, gave us some fantastic material in order to help us discern who the Messiah is, not our perception of the Messiah, but who Jesus Christ actually is. He emphasized the fact that he is the kingdom of the king of the kingdom without end he's the righteous judge, the first and last. Dave pointed out that being a king implies that there's a kingdom, and that sounded silly somewhat, but so many of us live uh, I say so many i 'll include myself all of us we do as people we we Just going to live how we live regardless of who the king is we're going to live how we live we're americans We do what we want we're free and so on and um And you maybe you thought that statement like I said sounded silly But it's if it's true and it is And he's the king and we as believers exist in his kingdom Well, then there's laws and rules for our existence in the kingdom. I was looking in uh, second peter 2 I wanted to read you this one little verse. I read it to them at the mission the other night I thought man, that's that's so true. That's something we need to apply to ourselves It says um In 2 Peter 2, it's talking about people that would lead other people astray, but the things that lead us astray, you remember, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Of those, these that would come, uttering bombastic and empty words, they seduce by fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. Listen to that. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Uh, You think you're free... You're free to live how you want to live in this kingdom, but it says that whatever, you, whatever enslaves you, um, whatever corrupts you, enslaves you. And so, though you may feel yourself free, we have, a, we have a very righteous king. He's a very good king. He's a kind king, but he's also a god of judgment, a god of wrath, and we've got we to gotta measure those things when we, when we take advantage of his goodness, just like a child. When, they, when you take advantage of dad's goodness, there's usually the car pulling over and a beatdown going on in the back seat. You can't continually take advantage of the goodness of the king and expect no wrath. So I remind you that, like Dave said, the kingdom, it appears to be invisible. Uh, uh, Luke 17, 20, we talked about that last week, how it appears invisible. But according to the king, he's returning in the future, and he will. it will definitely be visible. He will be visible. We operate as ambassadors of his kingdom in this age, and it will be uh, he will be more um, Visible to us in this kingly throne that he's going to set up in Jerusalem in the future and when he does return There'll be no excuses that will be acceptable for not following him obediently uh, Whether he was visible standing in front of you or not. He gave us assignments He gave us things that we we're supposed to accomplish and uh, and expectations that we're supposed to live by and you know experience and do um, Just as if he's standing here right beside me. I was back in the day, uh, my last deployment, uh, I went to um, Thailand, the hottest place on earth. I thought Saudi Arabia was hot. I'm sorry, Thailand's hotter. It's hot. And um, Thailand has a king. And so before we were allowed on to shore in Thailand, uh, they gave us this rundown of the things you could do in this kingdom. It's the kingdom of Thailand. Thailand means the land of friendly people. But. They told us do not say anything against the king or his kingdom. Don't say anything against his people Do not do anything Uh, They had quite a few little rules that were kind of everything. You couldn't spit on the ground I don't remember what the reason was but couldn't spit gum out. It was really clean for a a relatively poor area but uh, This is the point. I never saw the king not one time did I ever see the king when I was in Thailand I never saw his castle or house whatever he lived in never saw his grounds I never saw his, I saw one military guy of Thailand there, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a kingdom, doesn't mean there wasn't a king, and what happened actually shortly thereafter, some of you older types will remember this, was a young guy from the United States, his dad was stationed there, he broke a car window, and they took him and put him in jail, and right after that, they took him and caned him, and it was a big deal. You Remember that, Daryl? Yeah, they caned him, and it was a big deal because they're, hitting one of our American citizens. Hey, don't break the car window, dummy, and you don't get the cane. The thing about the kingdom is the king dictates what the punishment is. So when I heard that there was a king and he told me what the rules were and they told me that my options for disobeying the king was caning, hanging, beating, and imprisonment, I was like, well, I'll probably probably do what the king says. And the thing is, we're told in God's word that there's a king and that there's rules and regulations, guidelines, and so on and in our rebellious nature, we, we bow up against that and say, you know not tell me what to do. I'm a free, I'm a free person, I'm a free man, I'm a free woman. i do what I want to do. You ain't the boss of me. And he says, oh, yes, I am. And I'm coming back, and when I come back, there's going to be a day of accounting. And it's going to be a great, the Bible calls it, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, I we don't dwell on that too much because that makes us depressed but he did give us assignments for us to be working on and he expects them to be fulfilled upon his return we can we can have these things accomplished or or not it's really up to us but ultimately the the, the discipline and the potential for wrath from the king of kings is it's very great a guy needs to remember that i was reading in revelations this week and it talks about the wine press of wrath the wine press of wrath and the you know we always think of kind of make it lie to that you know you see the people stomping the grapes with their feet but the wine press is more like these apple presses you see where it's like a big a big uh, screw with a plate and they screw it down and they screw it down and they screw it down and if you're you're one of those little grapes by the way and you're getting pressed in that thing till the juice runs out the wine press of wrath it's not a good place to be the Bible also says that Revelation, in Revelations that earthly kings, the kings and the leaders that we fear now, you know, and people say, well, I don't really, I don't fear any man. All right, well, then the IRS calls and all of a sudden you're kind of fearful. The, the kings of this earth, it says, will cower and hide in fear from the wrath of the one true God. That's in Revelations chapter six. You can look that up to see if I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you, the wrath of the king is a real thing and we need to be aware of it. And uh, I just thought you did a great job last week Dave, uh, kind of pointing those things out, um, he was like good cop. I, I did. He was good cop. I did bad cop for you right there. But I just want us to remember that 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 uh, we take lightly a lot of times. If there is a king, and there is, and we say that we follow him, then why aren't we obedient to the things that he tells us to do? We wouldn't do that to our father. We wouldn't do that to our governor, or our our regional mayor leaders, or whatever. Why would we do that to the king of the universe? Uh, today is a special day, the Day of Pentecost. It's one of two. Um, holidays, so to speak, in the Bible that occur on Sunday. Uh, Pentecost is one of them, and the other one slips my mind. I just had it wrote down here. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm slipping, slipping. Anyway, Shavuot, S-H-A-V-U-O-T, Shavuot. And uh, it, today is the day of Pentecost. We're going to study Pentecost today. Last week we were talking about Jesus, the fact that he was resurrected in his last couple, his last little A few weeks there 40 days or so on earth and what his assignments were to people and how they were to obey and what was going on And he told them to be in a certain place in jerusalem and to wait for him on pentecost I want to read to you first from acts one Where it shows jesus fixing to ascend and and what he says to them to prepare them for this pentecost day I want to talk about pentecost and we're going to spend some time in it, but I want to um, I want to kind of set the table for you a little bit there first in acts so, Acts chapter 1, that's, we're going to be in Acts 1 and 2 today, primarily. Acts, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gave his disciples an assignment. It was, stay in Jerusalem and wait. And like I've told you before, uh, because they were obedient to His command, they got to be a part of a great blessing. When we when we accomplish obedience, we get to be a part of the blessing. Not everything works out positively all the times for every believer. It just doesn't happen. But when we're obedient to His commands, we get to be a part of His blessing. We get to be a part of watching His hand work among men. And, and I'm gonna I want to point that out today that two really big events that happened on Pentecost both happened. Through men, God used men to accomplish His will in a big way, and they get and in and in that, God gets the glory, but man gets the the prestige in a in a sense. When you do something, when you accomplish something great with God's hand on you, people are identify you as one of God's men. It's it's a kind of a special thing. It's not kind of a special; it is a special thing. They were blessed to take part in the actual beginning of the. I don't know what you want to call it, the Judeo-Christian church that we know of today. I call it Judeo because they were Jews. They were Jews that followed Christ. They saw that he did, in fact, die, that he was, in fact, buried in the ground, and that he did, in fact, raise again the third day and walked around and ate food and was alive in their midst. And when they saw that, they were like, this is real. This is real. He is God, and we need to follow him. And he, if, if God himself came and he stands in our midst and he says, wait here Till the promised one comes. I guess you wait there till the promised one comes. He said for a little while, and it's been about 10 days, he told him to wait. So we're blessed today to see in God's word, and, and these guys are writing the New Testament as they go here in the book of Acts, You know, these events happen. we should write that down. I think it goes with the old. write it down, you know. And so they're they're making it as they go. And we today are blessed, even as Gentiles, to be able to see the foundation of the church, the Christian church so-called, the Judeo-Christian church, which might be a better name. We got to see it. They got to see on that day this miraculous sign of the divided tongues sitting on each one of them. And they saw 3,000 saved and baptized by their witness with many more soon added, it says. So they got the blessing of seeing all this happen at once. We get the blessing of them writing it down and giving it to us for us to operate on still today. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2. I want to, it's pretty long, but I kind of want to read the whole thing. What time is it? Man, 1044. Come on, Jed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't know. I'll probably do the same thing to you at times, I'm sure. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll read the highlights. How about that? Let's start at Acts chapter 2 It's it's really critical that we understand this beginning of this uh, of this church When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house Where they were staying and tongues like flames of fire were divided and appeared to them and rested on each one of them And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the spirit gave them ability to speak They were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. These were men that sought after God. That's why they were there. They were being obedient to God. You had to be in Jerusalem for Passover and for Pentecost and for tabernacles, and these guys were there. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and was confused because each one heard speaking in his own language, and they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't those who are speaking Galileans, these people from this north little, aren't these people just a bunch of people from Mayland? I mean, that's what they're saying. These were nobodies from nowhere. It's like, how are these guys speaking this language? How is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages the magnificent acts of God, and they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, how could this be? What could this be? Sorry. But some sneered and said they're full of new wine. There's always the mocker. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. I told you, Joel, you got a plug today, buddy. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, and because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me and you will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. I'm gonna skip on down. Forgiveness, uh, verse 37 Uh, Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, when they heard this. The people, all these devout men from all over, when they heard this, says they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other signs, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed throughout, through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart Praising god and having favor with all the people and every day the lord added to them those who are being saved This is the initiation of the church that we know today um no matter far how far we've been removed from it by traditions or or sects, you know, over time. We got the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church and the and the uh, Episcopal Church and the Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, and so on, Presbyterian Church, give you a plug there, Tracy. You got each each one of those churches are just a small part. They're just uh, they they hung on to one part of the gospel and thought that was more critical, so they kinda came apart there. But in reality, the body of Christ is one church, it's founded right here in acts chapter two it's a group of obedient men that came together by the word of the lord the lord told them what to do they went and obeyed and they were able to institute the church that continues to this day and it's it's miraculous in its work it's i don't know it's not the largest single uh, religion in the world is it it's probably it's right up there though if it's not it's uh, right up there with uh muslim or whatever but uh it's still, 2,000 years later, it is very powerful. It's still uh, drawing people to the Father. It's still doing its work because the obedience of 12 guys. And it's, it's amazing. I wanted to back up just for a second here because I want to I go, we're going to go two steps back today. The first step is in Joel. What, what Peter quotes right here is in the book of Joel. And I thought it was interesting that he quoted that. As I read through that a couple of times, I read Acts chapter 2, I'm like, why did Peter pull this one? Of all the stuff he could have pulled out, why did he pull this one from, from Joel out of here? And it will be in the last days. It starts in verse 17. It's actual Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, if you want to look that up. I'm going make, make a move here. Got that thing wrapped right around my throat. It's yoking me. Uh, Joel chapter 2. Uh, 28 and 32. You might turn there because I wanted to show you a couple things around that verse. Joel. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Hosea, Joel, Amos, and you're in the Old Testament. Right after Daniel. Chapter 2, Joel 2, 28. God promises His to, to pour out his spirit. Peter brings this up because he's like, hey, this seems like what's happening right here. God's pouring his spirit out, just like he said in the book of Joel. Again, they're writing the New Testament as they go, which tells me, friends, you who might be um, wondering why we would ever preach from the Old Testament, the New Testament's the commentary on the Old Testament. It fulfills the Old Testament. We got to have the Old Testament in order to have the New Testament. You can't have one without the other. Anyway... Joel talks about pouring out his spirit. If you look where that verse is in Joel, surrounding it is an absolute uh, kind of beat down of the Israelite nation of what's going to happen and what they're due, what kind of judgment they're due and how the nations around them are corrupt and wicked. And, uh, And then right in the middle of all this, you see this pouring out of a blessing. Verse 29, I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in this day. He talks about this blessing, and, but, and, I'm, and I'm looking at Peter going, why would he mention this? But if you look at what happened to the church and to, the, and to Jerusalem and to Israel itself, right after that, it falls right in line with Joel. Before there's this destruction of the land, they were pulled out of the land. You see that in uh, Joel 2.25, I'll repay you for the years, that the swarming locust ate, the young locust, the destroying locust, and all that, where, it, where they were starving, where they were besieged. That happened the Jews have now been restored to the land for a short period of time but right after that you see um, in uh, chapter 3 you'll see again that they're they're split apart again 3 verse 3 they cast lots for my people they bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine to drink also Tyre and Sidon and all these things they're all just beating Israel down again and they're separated from the land again and Peter, without he probably didn't know that this was going to happen. He might have thought it was because Jesus did say that it wouldn't be long and, that, and the temple would be torn down. He may have seen it kind of coming, but you know you see better looking backwards than you do looking forwards. He didn't know exactly what was fixing to happen to Israel and it was our Jerusalem fixing to be sacked again and the, the second dispersion where they're sent all over. He didn't know that. But God's Word does in Joel and somehow through the work of the Holy Spirit peter is prompted to give that that message from joel but this is what i really uh was impressed by and it's three verse 14 so this persecution is coming this separation of the jews from the land again but in joel 3 verse 14 it says multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the lord is near in the valley of decision And then it talks about the end times. The sun, the moon will grow dark, and the Lord will roar from Zion, and so on. And then ultimately, he restores his kingdom there in verse 17. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Peter, without even trying, pointing people back, because the Spirit's working through them, and that's how it works. That's why it's powerful, because the Spirit's working through them. But Peter speaks these words, It leads people to go back to look at the book of Joel and they see multitudes in the Valley of Decision. These multitudes are nations that are not Israelites. That's us. That's you, Gentiles. These people are in the Valley of Decision at any time they can be destroyed, at any time the Lord returns. And there's no more chance because the day of the Lord is near in the Valley of Decision. If you've been called, if you've been called in your spirit, if you've been convicted in spirit, and you know you've been called to be saved, and you refuse to answer, then the day comes of wrath and every drop of juice is going to be squeezed out of you. If you're in the valley of decision, you're supposed to seek the Lord while there's still time. You're supposed to act on that. You're supposed to taste and see that the Lord is good. You're supposed to do something about it when you're in the valley of decision, act on it. But if not, comes this terrible wrath. But what happened before that was, he says, um, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the first time, well, not for the first time. In a big way, how about that? We see a Jewish man, Peter, give an open invitation to the world to accept Christ. Whosoever, even you, uh, Tennessean, even you, Iranian, even you, Persian, even you, Syrian, even you, Greek, even you, Roman, if you call upon the name of the Lord... You can be saved. It's the first big calling that we see like that. In the Old Testament, there were times where, different, um, where God talked about the Jews and he left a place for outsiders to come into the tabernacle, but they could only come into the very outer area where all the wrath was, where all the bronze instruments were. That's where they had to come. They couldn't go to the inner area. Only the Jews could. It was called the outer court. And they, only, they could only go out there. They couldn't come on in. But now, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it goes on to say, like I said, multitudes, multitudes, millions, myriads are in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Immediately surrounding that sentence of of Joel 28 to 32 is all this uh, 312. Let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That means the the wrath of the Lord or the the valley of the wrath of the Lord. For there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations. Swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes because the winepress is full. The, The wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is great. And then in there, there's that little sentence, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Let's go back a little further on this feast. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 32. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you about it. Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days. He brings the Ten Commandments down. He finds the people playing. It says, it's not they're not playing golf. They're playing wickedness is what they're doing. And God's, God is fixing to put the absolute hammer down on them. And the Feast of Pentecost is rooted on this day. This is where it begins because it means... Um, The time of the giving of our Torah, or Shavuot. That's what it means, Pentecost. It's the time of the giving of our Torah. It's when the law was brought down the mountain. And the Jews celebrate it still today. And this day was on a Sunday. And the Jews today do everything in their power to show that it wasn't on a Sunday, that it was actually on a Sabbath, and that they can't tell time from that, and they try to trick their people up. Because if they look at it, they have to say that it happened on a Sunday, and they have to say that Pentecost ties to the coming of the holy spirit and they have to say that the first fruits is the other one that begins on a sunday it begins on the day after the sabbath which is a sunday that's the day that jesus rises from the grave it happens on a sunday if i have to look at passover I'm a jew I have to look at passover and i have to say that it concludes on friday and 3 days later on sunday the lord is raised again on the first day of the week it says and i have to see that it ties into first fruits then i have to say well maybe there is something to do with with christ and passover and with christ and pentecost but they don't want to say that because they they're willfully blind and it's what they are and it's it's a tragedy and that's why we're supposed to give the gospel to the jew first but their own their own pharisees their own lawyers their own scribes are the ones that keep them willfully blinded like that but that that's a story for another day so the traditional view on the receiving of the law has been celebrated by the jews ever since then Ever since that day, and they celebrate with sweet breads and with milk. Kids, I brought, I got you some chocolate milk today, so you can you can celebrate good with chocolate milk, Jed. It's not good for your whatever. No, no milk for you, buddy. But um, uh, yeah, we got some milk for you today and some sweet sweets in there. But that's how you traditionally celebrate Pentecost. And really, we're supposed to have uh, communion this morning. And on Pentecost, you're not supposed to eat unleavened bread. You're supposed to only eat good bread. Uh, big fluffy bread but we're doing we're doing a two-in-one today so God will have mercy on us I'm sure as we celebrate and recognize his son's gift to us but but we should be eating sweet rolls and and drinking milk and just enjoying you're not supposed to fast on Pentecost it's a day of celebration it's a day of goodness a, a day of bringing and here's what I wanted to show you this is this is real key I was to ask renette about this and um I was like, what what does this mean? She goes, I don't know. Let me look in the Moody Bible commentary. I was like, don't bother. (laughs) It ain't going to be in there. So uh, he brings the law. You got to follow me for just a second. And they bring the law to the people. First time, Pentecost. Here's the second big Pentecost. Christ leaves. He sends his spirit to dwell in men. Once again, the law comes to man. Jesus says, I came to complete the law. I come to satisfy the law. I come to fulfill the law, however you want to read it. But I'm telling you, the law is still viable. The law still works. The law still convicts of sin. The, the feasts are still there. We're going to celebrate the feasts in eternity. The Bible says we will. Jesus celebrated the feast. Paul celebrated the feast in Acts 20, verse 16. It actually says that Paul's kind of in a hurry to get to the town, to get back to uh, Jerusalem so that he can celebrate Pentecost. they celebrate the feast. We cannot cannot separate the Jewishness of the Bible from what what the Bible is. We can't make it into what we want it to be. It's kind of like following the kingdom. We've got to follow the king's rules. We can't do that. But here's what I wanted to show you. Uh, Exodus 32, 28, the Bible tells us that about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Moses comes down the mountain. The people are playing. There are fornicating they're partying they're drinking they're living riotously they're not they're committing adultery they're you imagine it that's what they're doing Moses comes down the mountain he's shocked takes the stones breaks them he's like you broke all the Ten Commandments all in one shot right there you bunch of losers and he says those who are with me stand up against these that would live would act this way against the one true God and who stands up with them the Levites, the Levites go over there and stand up with them, and they take to the sword and they kill their own brethren. About three thousand were killed by their brethren. He said, and what's going on is you got a big drunken party, and the man comes in and the police show up. The man comes in with the law, and he's like, let's tone this down right now. Let's stop this. And what happens? You always got the rowdy guy that's like, you're not the boss of me, and he's gonna he's gonna stand up against the righteousness of Moses. Those that stood up against the righteousness were killed that day, about 3,000 it says. You remember where it just said something else about 3,000? The other Pentecost. About 3,000 were added to them on that day. 3,000 were taken first Pentecost. About 3,000 were added on the second Pentecost. Uh, There's something going on there. In both cases, God uses men, look at this, God uses men to add or subtract to his kingdom. God doesn't strike them down about 3,000. The Levites do. It establishes the Levitical priesthood too. He's like, these guys are for real. These are, these are men, I can, I can use these guys. They're a bunch of losers. I mean, they were partying too, but when, the, when it came time to, to show up or, or whatever, they showed up and they realized that they were wrong. They were repentant and they acted. So he used men to accomplish his judgment. Same thing on the day of Pentecost that we're reading back in Acts. He uses men, Peter and the disciples, who are loyal to the Messiah. They're the new priesthood of which we're a part. They're the new royal priesthood. They're the, we're not replacement people, but they're the replacement of the Levitical priesthood in a sense. They're the modern priesthood. Each one of us is called to be a priest. Once we have accepted Christ and we're uh, you know, growing in grace, there's no end. Once we've accepted Christ, you're in the royal priesthood. You're a minister of the gospel of the, of the royal priesthood. And that's what Peter and, uh, and, the, and the other apostles, the other disciples were. They were loyal to the Messiah. And they were willing to sacrifice their lives for their brethren. They brought in the new priesthood of every believer. The law that Moses brings down, it brings death. And the spirit brings life. So in the first Pentecost, the law brings death. In the second one, it brings life. Hmm. I just thought it was pretty, pretty amazing. It's, there's no coincidences in God's word. There's no coincidences, period. God works how he works. He's sovereign and all that. But there's definitely not a coincidence here that 3,000 were taken and 3,000 were added. And the thing is, the adding keeps on adding. And if you go back to the, you go back to the Old Testament and you watch how the Israelites, the 3,000 was just the beginning of those who died in the wilderness, who died in their trespasses and sin, because they would not, they would not, they would not obey the king, they would not repent. But those in the New Testament we see, it says 3,000 were added, and more and more and more were added as people saw that the Christ had been resurrected and he was walking around in the flesh and they saw that he was alive and they saw him be ascended, at least 500. And now you've got Peter and these guys who got the Holy Spirit on them and they see that and they're like preaching the word. I thought this was real interesting. I'll show you something here. It's in, uh, it's in Acts 1, verse 22. They're short an apostle. So they're like, man, we need another apostle. How are we going to get one? And this is what they said. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. Among these, it's necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. We need another guy that saw him do his work here on earth. That we, Just a go-to guy, a solid guy. We need one, of the, we need one more. We've got to get the 12 number back. And so they, they choose Matthias. God worked through men to do his judgment. He worked through men, pouring the Holy Spirit on them, to bring about this new royal priesthood. Why would, it, why would we even bother? I mean, I, I think about that. You know, okay, it's Pentecost, and it's Jews. It's in Israel. It's in Jerusalem. All this stuff's happening. What, what's the, what is it, how does that relate to us? What do we need Pentecost for? It is a prescribed feast. It's one of the three prescribed feasts. that it's. The way I read the Bible, you can read it how you want to read it, but I'm going to tell you what it says. We're supposed to carry this thing until eternity, until Christ tells us otherwise, the very first feast we're going to have in eternity is Passover, the we- the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we're supposed to continue these, and a, particularly these three, Pentecost, Passover, and Tabernacles. And there's a reason. The reason is, is because it points back to Christ and his work, and all those things point to him. So just like we would celebrate Christmas or Easter or, or some other thing that identifies Christ as our as our savior or our risen king and all those things, why would we not celebrate these other things, the things that he gave his life for us, the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit for us at a time? There's a good reason. It's more than the fact that it's just been traditionally done by the church for the last 2,000 years. It's the moment where the Holy Spirit comes in a long-term relationship to dwell with men, to dwell amongst men. If you're saved, he comes and he indwells you. Pentecost continues what was begun at the cross, the full restoration of men being reconciled to the Father. So if I look at the Bible as a whole, I'm not really, I, I was talking today about this, I'm not sure if, um, if Revelations is the climax of the Bible or if the time of Christ to uh, Pentecost is the climax of the Bible. Maybe there's two. I just remember that in, in school. They taught us that about Uh, different parts of a book, you know, climax was part, prologue was part, epilogue was part, body of the thing, whatever. I don't remember all of it, but I'm telling you, the climax, it seems like there's a two-parter here. The fact that Christ is going to return there in Revelations, that's important, no doubt. But the part that applies most to us, us being in the story right now, is the fact that he came, he died on our behalf, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, and he gave us an assignment to go and preach the gospel to all nations. The power that was revealed on the day of Pentecost is the kind of power that causes kings to hide their faces from his wrath and revelations. But on the other side of Christ, we see his kindness and humility to the extent like Dave was saying, that children came and sat on his lap and women sat at his feet without fear. That's the kind of power we're talking about. And when we have this kind of power and authority in a kingdom, why would we not bow in obedience to him? Remember back in Joel, one one verse there, and we we go to it a lot. If you've been here very long, you've heard it here. The fact that old men will dream dreams and young men will, will have visions. A dream is a vision that cannot be accomplished in a lifetime. So old men have dreams. They've already run out of energy. They've already run out of enthusiasm, whatever. And so they think about, man, you know what would be great? As if this happened. And young men have visions because they can actually accomplish it in a lifetime, still have the energy and enthusiasm and so on to get it done. So, uh, so older men can have dreams without the stamina to accomplish them, but they can pass these dreams on to younger men to develop them and accomplish them. Um, And young men actually have the the ability and energy and so on to actually make it happen Christ gives us the vision that he has. He's only 33 He's a young man. He's only 33 when he's resurrected He gives us the vision for reaching the entire world for his kingdom and we saw it in Matthew 1 8 there I'm sorry Acts 1 8 where it says um, For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and all the ends of the earth when you see what he the assignment he gives them he's giving them the assignment like hey uh, you guys can accomplish this this is my vision for you go to your neighbors uh, go to your home go to your neighbors go to your enemies and go everywhere else too and preach the gospel you got time and he's not going to return Christ is not going to return till this is adequately accomplished according to his will we can see these different things going on internationally and we'd say man. Uh, The the world can't get any worse. There's no way it's possible it could get any worse. But it's not going to end until Christ says, that's it. This is the last person that's ever going to be saved. This is him. And when that time comes, there will be nothing to stop his return. He's going to return whether you want him to or not. And at that point, you're going to be called to account. You'll either have believed or you won't. You'll either be under his wrath or you'll be under his grace. Anyway, the action required to accomplish the vision of Christ requires every believer to get involved. Those 11 men, they thought, man, we better get one more. It's going to take at least 12 of us to reach the entire world with the gospel. No way we could do it with 11. And sure enough, they pulled it off because they have promoted the gospel at that day. And before long, Paul comes around and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Titus. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And before long, they reach the whole of the known earth at that time. They were obedient because they were obedient. They got to see results. They got to see God's blessing on them. They were set upon by the Holy Spirit, and they continued to be obedient to Christ's command and began to preach locally as well as take the gospel globally. And today we get to experience the benefit of that because of their obedience. So I came up with a slogan for us there, Big J. Preach locally, act globally. I like that one, huh? Heard that one before, hadn't you? Think local, whatever, something global. I don't know. I heard it on the radio. This is my twist on it. Preach locally, act globally. That's a freebie. You can use that if you want. But I'm telling you, this is what we've got to be doing. So many of us are ministers of the gospel. It made me laugh. I'm sorry. That was dumb. <laughs> Preach locally at Globally. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. We've worked on this over the last ever how long, five years or so, that we're all called to be ministers. We're not called to do ministry the same way. I know some of you ladies do different ministry than I would ever be successful at with children or other women or, or, or whatever you're doing, nursing or with the poor, whatever you're doing. And then I'm called to do ministry that you're not necessarily called to do. I have a different personality than you do. <laughs> I'm called to minister in a different way. But we all have to minister according to the way we've been called in order to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ with the goal of reconciling men to the Father. And if we would all do that, there would be no problem with this accomplishment of reaching the entire earth, friends, neighbors, enemies, and the entire earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a good slogan for us, the modern North American church. We need to again gain this vision of accomplishing the Acts 1-8 uh, calling. That's the call of every believer. Anyway, Acts one twenty two. Christ has called us to be witnesses of his resurrection in order that his kingdom will be completed on earth as it is in heaven. If there's any kind of, I gotta use you, I'll give you an old-time Baptist word, if there's any unction among you to begin to be freshened, to give the gospel to another person, like when you first believed, you know, you want that fresh. Remember when you first believed? I remember I was a little kid. Aubrey, I'll tell you this. I want you to look at me because I want you to know how crazy I was. I was, I was the kid... I was the kid that other parents were like, always had to tell my parents after church that I had been a little out of control in church and stuff. I was that kid. I was the kid that got beat every Sunday, sometimes generally taken out of the service, beaten, and in return to the service. I was that kid. I was really wild. I was really loud. I was, I was ready for action. But I remember how I was, and I was about six or seven years old, when I came home and I knew that the burden had been lifted off my back. And we lived in a house in Dallas. And we were, we, were, we were poor people. We lived in a house about 800 square foot. We didn't have a lot of furniture. And I just remember running through the house. And I was still uh, short enough that I could run under the kitchen table without hitting my head. You know, so I wasn't very tall. I was maybe five or six. I was young. And I was just filled with joy. And I was just running. Um, Matthew Muster, we went to an event one time. And he was so excited. We pull up with a bus. <laughs> I think Pete might have been there. We pull up with a bus, and he just jumped out of the van. We are going to eat at this restaurant. He just took off running across the parking lot. I said, Matthew, where are you going? I don't know, man. I'm just He's just so excited to be. He just took off running. That was me. I was so excited. I just ran a big couple laps around the house because I knew that the weight had been li- I knew I'd been freed. And I was young. If we could get that spirit back in us. That desire back in us as we go out, instead of this mindset of drudgery, what drudgery it is to speak the word of life to someone. Peter was a young fellow here. He was he couldn't have been any older than about 20. And when the Holy Spirit fell on him, he breaks out Joel chapter 2. And then when the guy says, Man, what was what, what must we do to be saved? What can we do? He's like, repent. I got an idea. Repent and be baptized. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. But he had it. He said it with energy. He wasn't afraid. He had seen Christ crucified and resurrected. Listen, if there came a point in your life where you recognized that you had to be saved, that you couldn't save yourself, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and then you were saved and you know that you were saved, what has got you containing that? Has work gotten in the way? Has things? Has life? Has busyness? Has recreation and transportation and vacation and sports and tv and internet what all these things have gotten in the way of how free you felt when you were first freed from that burden of sin that was on your back and you got to get you got to get back you got to get back to that that's what pentecost is that's the holy spirit falling on you like flames of fire and invigorating you and you're just driven and you can't restrain yourself to tell somebody else about the hope that's within you so we're going to take communion this morning and, uh, and, and we're going to uh, uh, spend a moment and reflect on the, on the gift of uh, what Christ gave us, his death on the cross. But I want to remind you before we do that the Bible says, it's got, a, it's got a trying statement. It says, not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So you need to, to check yourself and see if that is indeed the case. Has there come a point in your life where you've accepted Christ and you recognize that there was no way you could save yourself, but only by crying out to him in repentance and faith could you be saved? And if it, if that's the case, if you got some, some little hang up, some little thing, some little sin in your life, some big sin that you just can't get shook of, let's just take a moment right here before we begin with that and let's just pray over that and repent of that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry that this one thing, whatever it is, it just keeps tripping me up and I'm asking you to come in and freshen me. I want to be where where the living water pours out of me again like when I was first saved. I want to have that energy again. I want to have the vision of the young man that can accomplish it in my lifetime. So let's just sit quietly just for a moment and then we'll, we'll continue on with the... Uh I used to hate it when the preachers would say that stuff and you had to sit there with your own thoughts. (laughs) You're like, man, everybody else in here must be a big bunch of sinners because I feel fine. Psalm 113, hallelujah. Give praise, servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forever from the rising of the sun to its setting. Let the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is exalted above all nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the garbage heap. In order to seat them with nobles and the nobles of his people he gives the childless woman a household making her the joyful mother of children hallelujah father thank you this morning for these that have come father we repent before you of the things that we've done and said and acted out in our lives it certainly wasn't how a a kingdom citizen should act lord we ask for your mercy and your grace on that and we thank you acknowledging that if we confess our sin that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we take time to break bread with one another and and enjoy communion with you and fellowship, Lord, I ask first that that your spirit be in our midst and fill us fully. I ask also that um, it would be done in a way that's reverent and satisfying and honoring to you. And I thank you, Lord, for those that would serve it to us. And I thank you for this time of blessing that you've bestowed upon us.